beyond what you can see is a reality more real than this. Beyond what you can see, there is one who holds the universe in eternal hands. Beyond what you can see, there is peace in the midst of chaos, hope in the midst of hopelessness, strength in spite of your weakness. Beyond what you can see, there is reason to rejoice, reason to celebrate, reason to trust. Beyond what you can see, light shines in the darkness, joy is birthed in sorrow, life bursts forth defeating death. Beyond what you can see, the Father sits securely on His throne, the Son intercedes for the chosen, the Spirit empowers the faithful. Beyond what you can see, is the anchor of your soul, the reason for your being, the longing of your heart, beyond what you can see but not out of your reach, is a hand outstretched to you and a voice saying, Come to me. Beyond what you can see is not a way of trying to teach you to deny reality. Reality is real where the word comes from. This is a tangible world. It's, it's not an illusion. You know, some religions, some philosophies teach that, that what we're experiencing now is not even real. It's just an illusion. It's like a dream. I don't believe that. The air that you're breathing is real. This chair over here is real. The, this hair on my head, as little as there is, is still real. I can feel it. I have to cut it every once in a while to to keep it this nice and shiny. When you hit your finger accidentally with a hammer, I hope none of you do it intentionally, when you hit your finger with a hammer, it really does hurt. If you don't believe me, go home and try it. No, I'm not recommending that. Don't try this at home. If you ride by and the hot sign's on a Krispy Kreme, you pull in, you get a donut, you put it in your mouth, it really is delicious. In other words, we're not denying reality. Reality is real. This tangible world in which we live is real. Now, within the midst of reality, we certainly have preferences, and our preferences cause us then to view reality sometimes a little bit differently. For instance, Uh, You may hear a song, and you may think, that's a wonderful, beautiful song. I love that song. Someone else may hear that song and go, "Eh, nah, I don't like that. Because, hey, it's still a real song, okay? It's just that how we respond to that song is a little differently. The same is true for a beautiful painting. I I may see this painting and think, this is absolutely beautiful painting. You may look at it and go, hey, what was that artist thinking? What a waste of paint. Or the poem that I read to start the service. You may have listened to that and said, you know what, that's meaningful. And others go, a poem? It didn't even rhyme. What a waste of time. Okay? That that did rhyme, didn't it? Man, I'm good. I didn't even try that. Okay, what I'm saying is, just because we may differ in how we view reality doesn't make reality any less real. What's real is real. We live in a world that has some very real struggles and some very real pains. 
But we also live in a world that has some very real victories and some very real joys. And in the midst of your circumstances, whether it's good or bad, whether it's abundance or lack, whether it's calm or chaos, there is a reality beyond them that is more real and a truth that is more true. And that's where we want to focus our attention this morning. We're not denying reality. We're not denying your circumstances. You know what? Your circumstances are real. And I know what some of you struggle with. I know what some of your circumstances are. I'd be a fool to stand up here and go, oh, it's just an illusion. It's not important. It's not significant. No, your circumstances are very real. But you need to know that your circumstances do not define who you are. Nor do your circumstances determine how you respond in the midst of them. Your reality is anchored somewhere else. Your reality is anchored in something truer and higher and richer and better than what you're experiencing right now, than what you can see, than what you can hear, than what you can touch taste, or smell. Your reality as a child of God is far greater than any of those things. Your reality is anchored in the person of God and his will for your life. That's where your anchor is. My anchor holds behind the veil That's where my anchor is. What is behind the veil in the temple? The presence of God was behind the veil. My anchor is in who God is and what God's will for my life is. So that doesn't mean we ignore our physical reality, but that we declare there is a spiritual reality that's greater than where I am now and greater than my circumstances. And what I'd like to do is to read kind of a lengthy portion of scripture for you this morning. I want you to hear this is a story that occurred a long, long time ago. People you don't even know, but it helps to explain seeing beyond our circumstances. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and flip over. You may have never been to this passage, and pages may be stuck together. Second Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 8 to 23. It's in the Old Testament, so you want to start from the left and go to the right. Okay? You're going to see, you get past Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, just kind of keep going. Okay? When you hit 1 Kings, you're close. If you hit 3 Kings, you need a different Bible. (laughs) There's no 3 Kings in there. 2 Kings we're going to look at verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 8 to 23. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. Otherwise, we're going to put it up here on the screen for you. And this is what the Scripture says this morning. Now, the king of Aram, another nation, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of the passing, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha, who's the man of God, warned the king. And so he was always on his guard in such places. 
This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? In other words, which of you is a spy? Who's telling what, what the plans are? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. In other words, um, Elisha somehow knows from God what all your plans are. Even what you talk about in the privacy of your bedroom, God knows it and he shares it with Elisha, the prophet. And so the king ordered, go and find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? You ever been in a situation where that's kind of what people around you, that's, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Armies surround us. You know, circumstances are not good. What are we going to do? And so the servant comes and he asks Elijah this very insightful question. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, this is his prayer, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemies came down toward them, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked and Elisha told them, he went, went to these blind soldiers from Aram and he told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After he entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there were, uh, and there they were inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? This is, this is eagerness. Can I kill them? Can I get them? I mean, here they are. You brought them in. Uh, now they open their eyes. They're all surprised. Can, can we get them now? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. And so he prepared a great feast for them. And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them on their way and they returned to their master so the bands of, from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Now, this is a really cool story tucked away in this book of 2 Kings. And there, there's a lot of humor in this. Uh, I mean, this is kind of a funny story. You know, they, they, first of all, the king of Aram is, is so upset because his plans are being divulged somehow. And he discovers that it's because of this prophet named Elisha. And then when he goes to try to capture or kill Elisha, uh, then that's when you have this big episode with the horses and chariots of fire that were actually surrounding them. And Elisha knew it all the time. His servant didn't know it. Certainly the king of Aram and his men didn't know it. And then Elisha just, I don't know, I, I don't know what comes over people 
you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know. Elisha must have thought, well, this would be funny. Hey, Lord, make them blind. And, and the Lord did. And Elisha, the guy they're looking for, goes up to him and says, hey, listen, I'll take you to the guy you're looking for. Follow me. Took him in the middle of the capital of Israel where they were surrounded by now troops of Israel and then opens our eyes up. That'd be pretty cool. Hey, I'm the guy you're looking for. Oh, and by the way, look behind me. Okay, and then the compassion that's shown. It's a pretty cool story. But what I want you to focus on in verse 17. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the servants, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Now, here's the question. Did Elisha's prayer cause the horses and chariots to be there? No. They were there all along. It's just that Elisha was the only one that could see them. And so he asked, open the eyes of my servant so that he can see a reality beyond what he can see. They were always there. And you need to know this, just because you cannot see the provision of God in your life does not make it any less real or any less powerful. You need to know that. Because you're you're in that situation. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And the reason you're in that situation is your circumstances look bigger than anything you could imagine. What you can't see is a provision of God that is greater than, than your circumstances, greater than what you're going through, greater than what you are enduring. You see, you and I, we get caught up in the whirlwind of life. That's a great image. If you've ever seen you know, whirlwind just picking up stuff and just twirling it all around, we're caught in the midst of that. And for many of you, that describes your life very, very well. It's just a whirlwind of things going on, and, and, and there's, there's, there's just chaos and a lack of control and a lack of peace because everything's just twirling. It goes faster and faster, and you're being pulled in a hundred different directions all at once. I mean, you pass the road sign for hectic a few miles back. Okay, your life is just a whirlwind. And sometimes when you're in the middle of that, it's hard to see beyond the whirlwind. It's hard to see beyond your circumstances. It's hard to, to see beyond all the junk that's just twirling around in your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there is a reality that is more real than your circumstances. There's a reality more real than your whirlwind. I'm here to tell you this morning that if God is for you, it really doesn't matter who's against you. Now, what I'm not up here trying to do is to give you pipe dreams of a trouble-free life filled with perfect health, abundant wealth, and calorie-free donuts. That's not what I'm trying to do is to tell you that God's going to come into the midst of your circumstances and fix all those little things that are going wrong and all those big things that are going wrong so that you can just go skipping merrily down the trail without having to worry about anything problem-free, stress-free, no, no issues in life. What I want you to know is there's something more 
There's something bigger. There's something greater. There's something better than the hole you're sitting in right now. And I want somehow for you to be able to see beyond what you can see. See beyond the walls of that hole. To see that which is greater, higher, and better. Now, how do I know that greater, higher, better actually exists? Well, I could give you personal testimony, but who am I? So let's listen to what God says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, confused, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Psalm 27, 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then, I will be confident. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Did you get that? The resurrected Jesus Christ is interceding on your behalf to the Father. Now listen, that right there, that should ignite your fuse. Okay, that that should light you up to know that Jesus Christ is, is interceding for you. You're in the midst of this whirlwind, all this junk going around you, stuff you don't understand, stuff you don't like, stuff that's hard to accept. Jesus is interceding to the Father for you. He goes on. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're in the middle of your whirlwind, you can either believe the reality of your whirlwind 
or you can believe the reality of what is really real. Something that's greater, higher, better, stronger than whatever the circumstances you're in are. There is that reality. And we've got to be very careful to give more attention and more focus to our advocate rather than our adversary. That's where we get in trouble. That's where Peter got in trouble when he stepped out of the boat. He was walking on water over to Jesus. And then he turned and he said, I can't do this. It's kind of like the coyote in the Roadrunner cartoon who ran out about halfway across midair and was doing fine until he looked down. That was the same issue with Peter. He looked down, he saw the winds and the waves, and he said, "Uh, this ain't possible, and he began to sink. Of course, Jesus saved him, which is good. But that's the circumstances. We look around and our circumstances become greater for us than the God who's with us in our circumstances. And we forget that we have a Savior right now who's interceding to the Father for us in the middle of our whirlwind as we're sitting in the depths of that hole. We're not alone. We need to embrace that there is a reality beyond what we see. A spiritual reality that's even more real than our circumstances. That doesn't mean we ignore our circumstances, pretend everything's fine, pretend that our, what's bad isn't really bad. But in the midst of that, we're willing to trust the Lord in our circumstances to do something beyond what we can see. And furthermore, to use those circumstances to grow our faith and to refine our lives. No matter how bad it is, God can use those circumstances to make us more like Christ. Occasionally I get out the file, I have to sharpen a lawnmower blade. Can't imagine what the lawnmower blade must be thinking. Well, it actually isn't, but let's personify the blade right now. First of all, I'm perfectly happy going around in circles under the lawnmower. And all of a sudden, someone comes down there and removes me from my surroundings, my comfortable, known surroundings, takes me and puts my life in a grip. Uh, 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 it just, just clamps me down in something where I can no longer have the freedom to move. I'm out of my element. I'm somewhere I don't need to be. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this rough piece of metal, and it begins to scrape against me, and sparks are flying, and little shreds of me are being left behind. How could a lawnmower blade understand what's taking place in that life, in that moment at that time? Until the vice loosens, and the blade is put back in, it begins to resume its normal life, except now. It's better. The work's easier. You see, that's oftentimes what's happening in your life. When that whirlwind is going on, when you're in the bottom of that hole, when everything seems to be coming against you, you're out of what's comfortable, you're clamped in a vice, you're not where you want to be. And the sparks begin to fly. And chunks of you begin to come off. And you go, what can this be? 
It can be the refining process where God uses Romans 8, 28, all things, good, bad, and different. God using all things, working them together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Don't worry about looking that one up. That's where we'll be next week. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Excited about getting into that. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God gives us so many stories in the Bible of the impossible becoming possible is because he wants to remind us that he is a God who is able. A God who can And so when you come to the edge of your Red Sea, when you stand toe-to-toe with your Goliath, when you are surrounded by your Aramean army, it is then you must remember that you have a God who parts seas, a God who slays giants, and a God who can overcome in immeasurable odds on your behalf and for his glory. So how do we apply this kind of a message? What, what do we do with this? We hear it, we go, yes, 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 I like that. I, how, how do I, what do I do with this? I want to tell you as simply as I can, here it is. In the middle of your circumstances, trust the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. It's one of your memory verses, by the way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Now to him, Paul writes this, beautiful. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus and throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Get what he's saying here. As he is, he's, he's given this, this huge, this, this doxology, this, this benediction, this, this way of glorifying God and blessing the people. He's reminding them, listen, you have a God who can do immeasurably more than anything that you could ask. Now, listen, we can ask a lot, can't we? But he can do more than you could ask. He can even do more than you can imagine. But it's according to his power at work within us. And the problem is, we turn it around. We want to make it about our power at work. How smart am I? How strong am I? What can I come up with to get me out of my circumstances? When God may have us in those circumstances for a reason. And we simply need to see beyond what we can see. to trust even when it's hard and to know that his ways are indeed higher than ours and his thoughts way beyond anything we could think. There's going to come a time when you will stand before God and all the stuff that you went through in your life is going to make sense. 
it probably won't be today. You will leave here with the same whirlwind in your life. But you'll leave here with a choice as to what you do with the whirlwind and what you do in the whirlwind and how you respond to the whirlwind. You'll leave here knowing if you'll accept the truth. There's a God who is there with you, strengthening you, refining you, and moving you to exactly where he wants you to be.